Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Fulfilled in Christ by Pastor Sean Wood. Uh, today's our healing service and uh, we're going to pray um, before we come around God's Word. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, right now I just ask that you would take over. That hearts would be open and that you would be free to move as you will right now. Your word is truth. Open our blind eyes to see more of Christ, we ask in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. As I said, this morning is our healing service, and at the end of uh, the sermon this morning, we want to give everybody an opportunity. If, if you want to come out and be prayed for in any for anything, then please do so. And and healing, uh, as we will unpack, is uh, far more than just physical healing. And that and the ministry of Christ extends far deeper than merely just physical healing. But of course, it incorporates physical healing. Uh, I remember when I was a taxi driver in Launceston. I was uh, after a Saturday night. I was on my way home. And a job came over the screen. I thought, you know what? One more job won't hurt. I used to always say that, by the way. Uh, one more job won't hurt. So uh, it was an airport run. So I call around to the casino, uh, pick up this dude, chucks his bags and his guitar in the back. He's got too much hair. Uh, he's got too many metal things hanging out of his face and all those sorts of things. It gets in. Uh, I didn't know who this guy was. You know, I had no idea who this guy was. And uh, on the way out, I'm just making normal conversation. I'm like, how, how are you? What brings you to Tasmania? And he's kind of like, you know, just giving me this funny look. He's giving me really short answers. I'm thinking, what's going on here? You know, this guy's pretty rude. Anyway, I get to the airport, think, you know, I'm uh, glad to get him out of the car. Put, uh, and we had a thing with the, uh, uh, don't abuse the taxi drivers, but we had a thing. If, if you were rude to us in the car, you took your own bags into the airport. <laughs> he had three bags and a guitar and I just, God bless you my friend You just, you know, we're, we're really hospitable in Tasmania by the way uh, So anyway, unbeknownst to me, this guy, uh, we have a, a thing called a blue cab charge And that means that when you, you just write it out, it's got your name on it You don't have to do any bank details or cards or anything And he gave me his cab charge and I put it in my pocket No tip by the way, <laughs> figure that right and Anyway, I, I, I'm thinking, talking to the guys you know, I'm, I'm having a drink with the guys before I go back into town. I'm about to go home. I said, you know, the guy, he's, I don't know what his problem was. And they said, you know, they said, oh, what was on the cab charge? I had the cab charge up. It was Rick Price. Does anybody know who Rick Price is? <laughs> yeah. You see? Uh, you, you have to be a musician to know who you, Rick Price is. Is that right? Or, or, or born 50 years ago? No, I'm joking. He's <laughs> <laughs> got a wooden link. Uh, so uh, it was Rick Price. I had no idea who Rick Price was. Now... Rick Price at that point in time was a reasonably famous uh, musician and the casino had asked him down to do a couple of concerts and I'm taking him home and I'm just treating him like he's a normal guy and he's, he's upset because he thinks he should be treated differently. And you know what, if I, if I knew he was famous, I, I'd, have, I, I'd, have, I'd have spoken differently, I'd have, I'd have acted differently. The problem was I didn't know whose presence I was in. Picked up a lot of famous people in Tasmania, by the way. They do make their way down there. (laughs) Today I want to talk about a scenario in Nazareth where Jesus is there. They know who he is, but they don't really know who it is that's standing before them. If you could meet me in Luke chapter 4, I'd like to begin in verse 16. We're going to finish 
uh, in Second Kings today, but you know, it says in verse 16, and he, that's Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, for those that were here last week, and as was his custom, what is customary for Jesus to do? He says, I will go to the synagogue. And he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. One of the most glorious passages in scripture, by the way. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and he found the place where it was written. Have a listen to these words. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. He has, he has separated me. He has placed and cloaked himself all over me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Are there any captives here this morning? And recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim, this is my favourite one, by the way, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Well, we're going to read on in a moment, but let's not read past those words without unpacking what Jesus was reading here. Jesus is reading a messianic prophecy from Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah was written some 700 years before Christ and so accurately predicts much of his life that many people thought it was written after the death of Christ. But it says here, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. What has Jesus been anointed to do to proclaim good news to the impoverished? And that extends well past physical impoverishment. It extends well past being hungry in the flesh and thirsty, but it speaks about a spiritual impoverishment. Those who are so deeply spiritually hungry and thirsty, Jesus has come to proclaim good news to you. There is a place that you can come and be satisfied. That might be you here this morning. You might be saying, you know what, I, I, I I'm desperately hungry and thirsty and I have a hole inside of me that nothing can fill. Well, Jesus came with some really good news. He could fill that hole. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Wow. For those that have been held captive, for those that are imprisoned, Jesus came to proclaim liberty and recovery of sight to the blind. And this world is full of people who are blind. Jesus is right before so many of us and we are blind. I love this last one. And to sit at liberty, those who are oppressed. Hallelujah. Do you know you can love Jesus? Do you know you can be a Christian? Do you know you can be following Jesus and yet be somewhat oppressed? I remember when I was in the forestry, they had some really serious fires on the East Coast and the government mandated from that point in time, we didn't have enough firefighters or enough resources. So they said, anybody who can pass the test can go on the firefighting register. If you, if you got the call up, it was really lucrative. So I went and did the fire suppression course. Took me a whole week, uh, ace the course. By the way, spent a whole week doing fire suppression. I never put a fire out. However, at the end, you had to pass a fitness test, which was walking a certain amount of kilometres in a certain amount of time with 25 kilos on your back. That's what oppression feels like. It feels like going through life, you're making ground, you're getting through, you're serving God, but there's this 25 kilo backpack. And how much easier would the life of Christ and following Christ be if that oppression was lifted? There's people in this room that have got a 25 kilo backpack that looks like bitterness and unforgiveness. There's people in this room, I am convinced, that have a 25 kilo backpack that looks like addictions. 
relational strains, grief. You have an opportunity to take that backpack off today. I love this last one, Robin. This one's a beauty. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. For those who don't know what the Jubilee year was, the Jubilee year in the Old Testament was every 50 years it was legislated, it was law that every slave had to be set free and all contracts were released and every debt was cancelled and all things were made new. I love this last one. Jesus came to proclaim the spiritual year of the Lord's favour when all of our debts, all of our sin is cancelled. When all of our captivity, we can be released from all of our captivity and oppression and God's favour rests on us and all things can be made new. Wow, what an opportunity, right? And to these people in Nazareth, you have to remember Nazareth is where Jesus grew up. Everybody knew Jesus. He spent 30 years growing up making tables and whatever else. And he rolled up the scroll, it says, and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, you guys have read these prophecies in this synagogue year after year, year after year, for hundreds of years. And Jesus stands up and says, today is your day. Today, everything you've read about, everything you've been waiting for, all that new covenant, the new heart, all those things. Remember when you read in Ezekiel and it said, I'll put my spirit inside of you. Jesus is saying today is that day and he is that fulfillment. Why do we declare that Jesus is the only way? Because Jesus is the only way. He's not a way, the way. And all, verse 22, listen to this, it goes downhill from here. And all spoke well of him and marvelled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth and they said, is not this just Joseph's son? Oh, they've missed it. Oh, he's far more than the carpenter's son. That guy in the back of my taxi was far more than some hippie dude from Nimbin playing the guitar for fun. And... On this particular day, in this particular synagogue, they missed it because he was so much more than Joseph's son. And he, Jesus, said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, and by the way, Jesus did some marvellous things at Capernaum. He raised the dead at Capernaum. And, and some of the, he did amazing miracles, but there was very, very little faith at Capernaum. Do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. Why? Because there is an overarching sense of familiarity. The greatest threat to the Western church today, I believe, is familiarity. You know when uh, your children are young and you're reading those stories to them and and year after year you read the same story and it fascinates them every night you read and their imagination runs wild. But by the time they're like... 18, they're like, Dad, this, this, was, this was over years ago. <laughs> you know, um, uh, this isn't as amazing as it used to be, you know. Like, uh, it's like me saying to Ruben, let's go watch the Avengers. He's like, Dad, really? It's like, let's go and watch the Fast and the Furious or something stupid like that, right? Because, because familiarity, we become familiar. These guys, it's just Joseph's son. <laughs> And he loses his wonder, his glory. 
Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown, but in truth I tell you. And we're going to pick up the last example that Jesus gives, but he, he has some scathing words for the religious folk of the day. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. When the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and great famine came over all the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath. In the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers. We're going to pick up the story of a Syrian leper in just a moment. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman or Naaman. It depends on whether you're on the north side or the south side this morning. But only Naaman, the Syrian. Well, what's Jesus saying to these guys? <laughs> you know what? The same God that healed Naaman, the same God that, that provided miraculously for that widow was available to Israel all the time, but God's glory went out to a couple of Gentiles. You're not going to stop God's work. You're not going to put him in a box. He's not going to confine himself to our boundaries and our procedures and our programs. No, I will still do my work and how glorious it was. If you'd like to meet me in 2 Kings chapter 5, I really like this account. Uh, Naaman the Syrian, we're going to work our way through. What's Jesus trying to teach us and what can we learn today uh, as we uh, progress through this analogy? It says here that Naaman was the commander. Who is Naaman anyway? He's the commander of the army of the king of Syria. 2 Kings chapter 5. Sorry, Janice. He's the commander of the army of the king of Syria. He was a great man with his master and highly favoured. Now, here's a sentence that'll, uh, that'll kind of twist your theology a little bit. Because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria over Israel. Stick that in your pipe and smoke it. He was a mighty man of valour, but he was a leper. So Naaman is the commander of the Syrian army. They had many victories and conquests over Israel, uh, although Elisha turns the tables for them in chapter 6, if you read on. And he was a great man, well favoured by the king. He was well respected. He was considered to be a mighty man of valour, but Naaman had a problem. He had leprosy. And it didn't matter how much money Naaman had. It didn't matter how great he was. It didn't matter. All of those things didn't matter. There was nothing he could do about his leprosy. And maybe there's some people in this room today that everything seems okay on the outside. Just like Naaman. Everything, everything seems okay on the outside. You, you, you rock and roll through church. and You put your spiritual makeup on Sunday. Everything looks all right. We, a few hallelujahs and praise God. But when we go home, there's a big but in our lives. But I'm suffering maybe with depression. But I'm suffering with this grief. Maybe suffering in my marriage or I have family members that won't speak to me. Maybe there's a but in your life. Verse 2, now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried a little girl from the land of Israel. And uh, as I made clear to the ladies yesterday in the ladies, whenever you're talking about God and how he works, please remove the word coincidence. 
And this morning as we're working our way through the account of Naaman, let's take away the word coincidence for a moment. Oh, just coincidentally that a girl from Israel ended up in the service of Naaman. There is no coincidence. Uh, Let's replace the word coincidence now with the right word, opportunity. An opportunity has presented itself. Have a listen to what, uh, if you want to know what face sounds like, have a listen to this young girl, by the way. Now, the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Not he might. Not he'd give it a, he might consider it. Yeah. Go down and see Elisha. You know, take a latte. No, none of that. If you go and see Elisha, he's a man of God. God works through Elisha. And he will heal him. Naaman does what I believe every one of us should do. We we have to learn from a Gentile this morning. He's not in covenant with God. Naaman's not in covenant with God. He doesn't know anything about this one true God. He he doesn't know hardly anything about Israel's God. Anything he knows about Israel is there's somebody to conquer. She said to her mistress, would that my Lord were with the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord, thus and spoke the girl from the land of Israel. Verse 5, and the king of Syria said, go now and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. What does Naaman do? Doesn't talk about it, doesn't consult anybody. Well, you know, I'm thinking I might, you know, have we got the annual leave up, a bit of long No, 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 he just says, I've got to go. And All too often we sit around far too long talking about what we think we should be doing when we should take a leaf out of Naaman's book and get up and say, God, I'm coming. Let's read on. Naaman does something very interesting. So he went taking with him, uh, listen to the list here, 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold and 10 changes of clothing. Not because he was going there for a long time. Clothing was worth. It's kind of like when we take our wife on holiday, Liz. Because Brother Tony told us how many rooms there are for your clothes. But, uh, uh, yes. <laughs> 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothing. Uh, conservative estimates by scholars today, he's taken about $1.2 million worth of goods in today's terms. And that spells one word for me desperation. million. (laughs) Hello? I'm desperate. I've got no answers. Uh, Naaman might be a great man, but he's got the same limitations as everybody else in this room here. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? Because they come to the point where they go, you know what? I need God. That's That's what poverty in spirit looks like. It's a place where you realize I'm at the end of my resources and Jesus, if you don't save me, nobody can. And I want to ask everybody in this room, when when was the last time we were that desperate for God? When was the last time we shut ourselves in our prayer closet, got down on our knees and said, God, you either come through or I'm done? When was the last time we were that desperate for God? We said, we'll put anything down, whatever it costs us. (laughs) See, that's why I love the book of Revelation. We want all of the pomp and ceremony with God. We want all the power and all the anointing. But do we want to pay the price? There are Christians across the globe that are paying a price to name the name of Jesus right now. 
Don't believe what the mainstream media is telling you. The Taliban has sent letters to every Christian in Kabul. We know who you are. We know what you're doing. Stop what you're doing and burn your Bibles or we will kill you. What do they do? They keep reading the Bible and they keep meeting on Sundays. You can't stop the church. And you can't stop God and you can't stop Jesus. But when were we that desperate? I don't care what it costs me. I'll give you everything I've got, God. Maybe your butt here this morning. Because you know what? I need to set some things aside in my life and go harder after God. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel. I love this part. He brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of leprosy. Have a look at what the king does. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, You know you're in trouble when you're ripping the clothes off. And said, Am I God? To kill and to make alive, that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. The king is King Jehoram. What's the problem here? The problem is that the Israel's king has no relationship with God. That's why he's tearing his clothes. Because a leper has come and what's he saying? I, I mean, what do you expect me to do? I can't help this guy. I can't cure a leprosy. I can't raise the dead. No, you can't, but God can. Elisha's response, but when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Why have you torn your clothes? The scripture is filled with but God moments. No need to raise your hand this morning, but does anybody here need a but God right now? But we, so often we can be like this king. We come to the end of ourselves and we tear our clothes. What am I going to do? The bank keeps sending me letters. I've tried everything to mend my marriage. I've been to every doctor in Brisbane. Maybe the message is stop tearing your clothes. Let him come now to me, says Elisha, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots, all the pomp and ceremony. So Naaman comes with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. I love this. And Elisha sent a messenger to him. This is pivotal now. These are the hinges the whole story swings on right here. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry. Why is Naaman angry? Naaman's angry because he's traveled all the way from Syria to Israel. He's he's done everything by the book. He went to the king. You know, he didn't just go and where's this prophet? He didn't do any of that. He went through the right procedures. He went through the right processes. He went to the king. Yes, go and see Elisha. He gets all the way to Elisha. He's got all these chariots. Does Elisha not know how important Naaman is? He knows how important it is. And what Naaman wanted was for Elisha to come down and dance and jiggle and wiggle and, or let's put it in 2020 terms, He wanted Elisha to come down and wave his coat and blow on people. And the next thing you know, we always want the demonstration. 
We, we think healing rests in this dramatic demonstration. We're, we just need to turn the lights off and put more, you know, put more jazzy lights. We need smoke machines maybe, or, or maybe we need to find somebody who can preach. Elisha makes it clear the power's not in the process. It's in the person. Wherever you are this morning, it doesn't matter who's standing up the front here, and it doesn't matter who you're sitting next to, God can whack you right where you sit. But Naaman was angry and he went away saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpa, or Farpa the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? What's he saying? Better to go to the rivers in Tasmania than to dip in the Brizzy River, right? I did hear a fisherman say that the, the threadfin salmon in the Brisbane River have a specific golden tinge on their back. And it's called, it's called mud. <laughs> Moving right along. The rivers of Damascus, aren't they better than the waters of Israel? Listen to the pride here. What are some of the key things we're beginning to take from Naaman? When an opportunity comes, you, when God knocks and gives you an opportunity, you take it. And maybe God wants to bring us to a place of greater desperation. Whenever God's moved powerfully in the church, by the way, it's always followed or, or come after a deep season of desperation, calling out to God desperately in prayer. And maybe God's trying to humble us. We have a saying in Tasmania, I'm humble and proud of it. Humility, by the way, is not making less of yourself. For us to be able to understand fully what the Bible teaches about humility, it's not walking around telling everybody what a, oh, how low and how, how, how crap you are. That's the, the Bible doesn't say that at all. Humility is making less of yourself and more of God. That's what humility is. Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near him and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Can you not do it? I mean, what if Elisha had what if Elisha had come down and done a dance and jiggle and wiggle and waved his coat around a little bit and said that if you give an offering today through this portal of heaven that's going to come down, rain down blessing on you. What if, what if he'd come down and said all that? What if he'd come down and said, go and offer a thousand oxen up on the hill? Wouldn't you have done it? The answer is, Naaman would have gone, yeah, cool, I'll, I'll go and do all of that. But because it's something simple, and because there was no elaborate demonstration as he may have thought he deserved. These are wise words here. Will you not do it? As we come to a close, I'm going to ask Maria to go and grab Stu. We're going to play some music here. But I want to ask everybody here this morning, will you not do it? You know, sometimes what we learn here is sometimes the greatest miracle is in the obedience. What we learn from the widow of Zarephath, for those that know the story, Elijah's sent and <clears throat> she's got nothing left. She's about to cook up her last meal. 
And Elijah says, well, before you guys eat, give me some food. (laughs) Rude. But uh, she does exactly as the prophet says. And he says, I tell you now, uh, until it rains again, your jar and your jug will never be empty. Now, God could have come to that widow and said, here's all the oil and flour you're going to need until it rains again. Sometimes the miracle's every day. Sometimes it's like C.S. Lewis said, you know, uh, from day to day it seems like nothing changes, but when I look back, everything's different. Sometimes the miracle is in doing what God told us to do. You can read the rest of the story here, but what happens is he goes and dips himself seven times in the Jordan and it just so happens that he is miraculously healed. I love the account of King Saul and Samuel the prophet. King Saul is rejected as king. We all know that. David's about to become king and Samuel dies. If you want to know what a prophet looks like, Samuel's probably one of the key ones in the Old Testament. Samuel dies and King Saul hits a kind of a crossroads. I need God's voice in this situation. So what he does is something really, really stupid is he goes to what the Bible calls a necromancer or a medium to call up Samuel so that he can get Samuel to give him the new word. I don't know if it's all that stupid or whether we hear some of these things today. Some of the avenues that we approach for the new word and the new revelation, but what was Samuel's message to King Saul? You don't need a new word and you don't need me. Go away and do what God told you to do in the first place. The greater miracle here. You know what Naaman does? Naaman digs up some soil and he says to Elisha, he says, I'm going to take this soil home. And when everybody else is in the temple of all Syria's gods, I'm going to put this soil right in the middle of that temple because it's God's soil. And I'm going to worship the one true God right in the middle of Syria. That's powerful. It's powerful. Revolutionised. Naaman's life. I want to tell you today that the same message that Jesus had when he came to that synagogue on that Sunday, Saturday. The same message was, this has been fulfilled in your hearing and today's an opportunity. You you don't have to carry those bags of oppression anymore. Maybe you're sitting in this place and you need a but God in your life. Maybe for you it's time that you come and put some stuff down. You know what, if you want to come out the front, you can come out the front. We would love to pray with you or pray for you. But God can smack you right in your seat. You don't have to come down here if you don't want to. But don't walk out of here today missing your opportunity. Don't walk out of here today saying, I wish I had done something then. Don't turn around in 12 months saying, you know what? Every Sunday I say I'm going to put that stuff down. Don't live in unforgiveness any longer. Go home and pick the phone up. You can be free today, not because of me, not because of anything, any buildings, any ornaments. You can be free today because the Son of God came to earth to set us free. 
If you're hungry in this place and you've never met Jesus, you can meet the one that can satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. Don't walk away from this opportunity today. I'm going to end in prayer and we're going to play, <coughs> still play quietly, but I pray you don't miss your opportunity today. And Father, as we stand before you, Jesus, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day when I pray that everybody would encounter Christ. Let us see more of your glory, Lord. As I stand here, uh, I say I need you, Jesus. Each and every one of us needs you. We need your power. I pray today that oppression would be lifted. I pray today that captives would be set free. I pray that blind people in this room would see. I pray that the poor would hear the great news and that each one of us would understand the acceptable year where we're set free and all things are made new. Make us new today, Father, I pray. In the wonderful name of Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.